0: Welcome to Baba's Beach Podcast number 25. We never took history as a separate subject in school. It was called social studies. Of course, Canadian history was all part of it, as was the export products of Barbados and the ports of France. I remember months devoted to the explorers as they moved across the country. Cabot, Champlain, La Salle... Le the doomed Franklin, Henry Kelsey, I'll pause here while you hum a bit of Stan Rogers' Northwest Passage, where his sea of flowers began. Partway through grade five, however, I remember the teacher handing out a mimeographed page with the outline of three flags on it. Remember those purpley blue mimeographs? after the class finished surreptitiously snorting the residual vapors of of alcohol and ink. No doubt one more of the umpteen environmental factors contributing to my generation's brain damage. The teacher began to tell us Canada was getting a new flag and we were going to help choose it she held up a color picture of each of the choices and then told us to color in our pages so we could take them home with us as a memento. My favorite was the one with the blue bars but I wasn't so keen on the three maple leaves in the middle. The third one was kinda neat too with the red bars and the little flags on them and I definitely liked the single maple leaf in the middle but the red bars were blue. We spent a couple of classes going over the three flags, what each part of them meant, and then the teacher handed out another mimeographed page with the three flags, paused for the group inhalation to finish, and asked us to color them in, then put a check mark in the box underneath the flag we liked best. These were going to be sent to Ottawa and help our government choose the country's new flag. It was all a very exciting and wonderful time to be a Canadian. I was somewhat disappointed to learn a few months later the choice was the red and white flag. But heck, I'd been part of the process and that meant it really was my flag. I never stopped to consider the amount of time needed to wade through the thousands of mimeographed sheets from all the school across the country to count our votes, or how much our tiny voices really mattered when all was said and done. I'd done my part, marked my ballot, colored it the way I thought it should look, and even wrote out why i had chosen the one with the blue bars. I also thoughtfully suggested they could make one bar blue and the other one red. Two years later we were at Expo 67 and the grand new flag was flying proudly everywhere we went. Dad was a teacher so we actually drove all the way across the country to attend the big party and carried on all the way to Prince Edward Island. The immensity of this country was thrilling, but exhausting. It was a couple of years before we left home for a holiday trip again. The next time, we went west to visit the family in B.C. There was Uncle Jim in Kamloops and Dad's sister Aunt Philomene in Vancouver. We even jumped the puddle to Victoria to spend a few days with great-aunt Helen and Uncle Fred. Helen was a big woman, She'd grown up on a farm and helped her dad with a woodlot south of Edmonton. It wasn't hard to imagine her driving the truck and pushing the men aside to toss a few trees onto the flatbed. Uncle Fred was a mild-mannered, quiet man who'd sit in his chair and nod as Helen talked and talked and talked. Then he'd raise his hand point to the dining room, and off Helen would scamper, putting coffee, cookies, cake, muffins, pies, banana bread, out on the table for the morning coffee break. She apologized for the meager rations as they were on a diet now that they'd retired from the farm. On the way back, we stopped to play a round of golf at the Peace Arch Golf Course just outside of Vancouver dad and I played, I should say. Mom basically swung a club, swore, and then kicked the ball along when she thought we weren't looking. Her score as we walked off each green was more of an impression of how her day was going than a record of each shot. Afterwards, we went into the coffee shop for the traditional ham sandwich and root beer. I don't remember what triggered the conversation among the locals sitting at the lunch counter, but the flag was mentioned. What I do remember is one of the men growled, and if he'd been outside, I'm pretty sure he'd have spit. That's no flag. I wouldn't blow my goddamn nose on that rag. Dad and I shrank a bit into our chairs. Mom headed for the bathroom. Turns out the dissenting voice was a World War II veteran, and as he went on at length, he hadn't fought under something that looked like it had been drawn by a kid. The only flag was the red ensign, and that was the only one he'd ever salute. We forget how young this country really is. Confederation happened in 1867, but Britain politely offered to keep the lease in their shoebox. We didn't have our own flag. Up until the beginning of the 20th century, our boys died under the Union Jack. From World War I through World War II to 1965, it was the Red Ensign, which was the flag of the Governor General of Canada, the Queen's appointee. In 1965, we finally had our own flag once the Queen officially approved it. In 1967, Canada was 100 years old, but the British North America Act was still in Liz Windsor's shoebox. Technically, our Parliament still served under the authority of Britain. Even though the Constitution was brought back to the country in 1982, England can still theoretically murmur a discreet "ihim" to suggest changes. Maybe this is why we are still searching for the spirit of our identity. lived in the neighborhood of America's loud, proud, and visceral patriotism for so long, it's hard to find the things that make us different from our red, white, and blue neighbors. There is a quiet voice, I'm convinced, deep inside of us, and it calls to people from other countries who come here to live under our red and white flag. On June 19th, I got to meet one of the people looking for the spirit of the country. Joey Taylor has collected icons from our history, cultural, historical, spiritual, and political, and married them into Voyageur, a six-string guitar. Yeah, I know, it doesn't sound so big, does it? But like that quiet voice inside of us, it has a story that binds us coast to coast to coast one of Pierre Trudeau's paddles, and a piece of Maurice Richard's Stanley Cuppering. The spirit of Haida Gwaii is the front, and Louis Riel is its back. Even the case Voyageur travels in has pieces of this country's young life stitched into it, some tent canvas from the midsummer's dream that became Stratford, and a small pair of pants made from a real-sized pair worn by Don Cherry. Wood from Louis-Joseph Papineau's home. A piece of Lauren Harris's cabin. Tile from the roof of the refugee slave church in Nova Scotia. Cape Breton steel, B.C. jade, slate from Great Bear Lake, 67 pieces of Canada. I'm not going to wax poetic. There is no way I can do it justice, so I won't try. If Joey comes to town with Voyager, go and wait for your chance to hold it. Shake Joey's hand and take up the cause. He's doing it on his own time and his own dime. That's also part of the Canadian story, I guess. The government doesn't seem to have a few pennies to help out with the project, and our national broadcaster, CBC, doesn't seem to have the time to put the story on air. Then again, CBC is being silenced in so many ways right now, I guess that isn't surprising. It's a young country, you know. And why shouldn't we have a flag that looks like it could have been drawn by a kid? Heck, I could have been that kid. We should just stop worrying about coloring inside the lines. Put down the crayons and get outside. How about a picnic? A friend of mine has a guitar, and I can think of at least one song we all know.
1: Glowing we hearts the We see we thee rise escape. The true oh. north strong
0: Music for this episode was provided by the Podsafe Music Network. For information on today's music and artists, please see the show notes at www.babasbeach.ca. While you're there, please leave us a comment. That's www.babasbeach.ca.